All right, I don't know if you can read my cup this morning, but how many have really good eyesight? Anybody here? Aside from Nancy, who I just showed it to, does anyone be able to read that from here where you're sitting? It's okay. If I have my glasses on sitting in the front row, I probably wouldn't be able to read it either. But it says, I have just met you and I love you. Now, I don't know about you, but I try to live by this, and, and not really on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. And it was on my internship. I was just finishing up my internship when I was in Bible college at a church in Oshawa. And we actually volunteer pastored there for a couple years. And I never really realized this trait about us. But everywhere we went, no matter the event, no matter the person, no matter the situation, we had some really awkward kind of situations when we were there too, some unique challenges, shall we call them. Not with us, but just, we just because you're in leadership, you have to deal with them, right? And, you know, one thing that we just did, and I just believe it's God working in us, is no matter what we did, no matter what we faced, we chose to love. We chose to show kindness. We chose to show up and be present. And that is, so when I finished up, the pastor actually got us the little stuffed animal dog named Doug from the movie Up, because that is all of what he's all about. He says, I have just met you and I love you. And so when we were away last summer, I found this cup in the Disney store in Hamilton, which is no longer available. Now, you guys know my family loves Disney and Disney World and stuff. And so when we can't go to Disney World, we get our fix by going to the Disney store. And now that does no longer exist in Canada. And so I am proud today that my last visit, the last month the store was open, I found the exact cup that declares who I am. I have just met you and I love you. And let me just say today how much I truly love you this morning. You guys are some of the best church family that we have ever had, and I am so thankful for that today. You have blessed me and my family and my wife so incredibly much. I have to tell you, and just take a pause in a moment to tell you how much I appreciate being a part of this group of people. North Shore Church is one of the best churches in the world. You can say amen to that. I don't want to, be, I don't want to you know, fill this up with pride, but you have the confidence today to know that because you have loved us so much, it makes you one of the best churches ever. All right, so put a smile on your face. Feel a little proud today that you made Pastor Gary feel really good, okay? Because it's all about that, right? No one said amen to that. Good. I'm thankful. I am also thankful that we pastor a church that is in love with Jesus far above anything else. And if you're not totally, completely, 100% in love with him yet, my prayer is that soon you will be, because Jesus is Lord. Yes, Leland? Did you have your snack? You can go have your snack if you want it. Okay. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But I pray that you are madly, completely in love with Jesus because he is the Lord of creation. He's the source of reconciliation. He's the reason for the believer's hope. 
Jesus is the strength to live a new life, which we talked about and sang about this morning. Jesus is our redeemer. Oh, man, isn't it so good to be redeemed? Isn't it so good to not be thrown away, cast out, mocked, just discarded as if we were trash? Isn't it so good to be redeemed? That's something you can say amen to if you're looking for that. Jesus is and was and still is 100% fully God. Jesus is the reason the cosmos exists and holds it all together. Jesus is the head of the church, the resurrected one. Jesus is the peacemaker between God and humanity. Jesus is the one who works mightily in us. How many have heard that before? I think all of you have been here over the last three weeks at some point, so you can say by faith you have heard it. Because I've said it every single week. And why have I said that? Because it is true. Now, does anybody know what number miracle we're on today? All right, let me ask this question. How many messianic miracles are there of Jesus? Get down, please. Catherine, go back to your seat, please. Go to your seat. Thank you. Does anybody remember how many messianic miracles there are? Ronan, do you remember? Minus one. No, take away one. Four. Four messianic miracles. So today, we're going to talk about the fourth one. Now, does anybody remember what is significant about a messianic miracle? Who can do a messianic Who can perform one of these miracles? Only the Messiah. That's right. So that is what makes them significant, because only God's chosen person, the Messiah, only Jesus, as we have come to learn, can perform a messianic miracle. So the first one, Jesus heals a leper, and it was believed that you do not touch lepers and you cannot heal a leper, only the Messiah can do that, because they are cursed by God, and therefore only God can lift the curse. That was the conclusion that men came to, all right? But praise God, he redeemed us. We can be redeemed. There is hope. No matter who you are, there is hope. It doesn't matter if you're a leper or not. There is hope. Jesus can heal you. Number two. Does anyone remember what number two was? Close. That's number three. Say that one more time, Sandra. Nope. But I did tell that story when I talked about the second one. Death. The deaf what? The mute demon. He was able to cast out a mute demon. That was found in Matthew chapter 12. Number three, he healed a man born blind, which is found in John 9, 1 to 7. That was what we talked about last week. And what I said at the end of the message I thought was interesting, he was sent to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Jesus sent him to the pool, and Jesus was the one sent to save us. And now you and I are sent to be washed and to be cleaned and to share the good news with others. And so Jesus is the only one as the Messiah who could perform all three of these miracles. And so that was part three, healing a man born blind. Now number four, number four gets a little crazy. Um, this is an awkward question. Have any of you ever, we got nurses, so maybe it's not that weird. How many, of you, as, how many of you have ever seen a dead 
body before. How many of you talked to that body and told it to come back to life? Probably none of us. It's pretty good, pretty good guess. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that we lack faith. But today's fourth and final messianic miracle was Jesus not just raising somebody from the dead because he had done that before. In fact, he wasn't the only one that had done it. But what was unique about this one is that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Someone say Lazarus. Now, what was so special about Lazarus? Well, nothing. He was Jesus' friend. He was the brother of Mary and Martha, who were also Jesus' friends. So does that make him extra special? Is that why he brought him back to life? No. What makes the miracle extra special and extra powerful and, and miraculous is that he was raised to life, not on the first day, not in the moment that he died, not the next day after he died, not the day after that, but on the fourth day of being dead, Lazarus was resurrected. Now let me ask you this awkward question. How many of you have been around a body that's been dead and decomposing for four days? I have not. Okay. By that point in time, physically, it's not looking so good. Now, keep in mind, there's no electricity, no refrigeration. He's been now in the tomb. And Jesus raises him to life. Now, at the beginning of our time together today, I asked for a volunteer. If someone would be willing to read a significant portion of Scripture today, here is your opportunity to say, hey, Pastor Gary, I will read the significant portion of Scripture today. Would you like to do that, anybody? You have to use the microphone, just throwing that out there. Would anybody like to read John chapter 11, 1 to 44? Judy, you're going to do it? All right, come use this, this microphone over here then. That way all of us can, can hear you. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the, the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had, been, had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. <clears throat> then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said for this, for this the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thank you, Judy, so much for reading that today. <clears throat> now, there is a lot of things that we can take out of this story. But when we pause, can we just pause in this moment of awe and wonder for a second? I hope that as Judy read that, you were able to sort of take in a few things that would kind of just make you go, wow. Does anyone kind of feel that wow factor as you hear those words, as you read them together? Because I know that I do. I tend to be just kind of stricken by some of the things and, and just the faith of the people around him. The faith of the, the followers that had gone with him these last number of years, they have seen the miracles and they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, there are a number of things that we can pull out today, and we could spend a lot of time on this passage, and we should do that together another time. 
or you should do that together with, with someone else and read through it and, and study it further because there's just so much amazing truth to be found in this passage. For example, you know, the, the sister of Lazarus, Lazarus believes. She says, well, I know, I know Jesus that he will rise again on the day of judgment. I know that a time is coming because of his faith that he will rise again. And Jesus actually says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if you remember back to the very first miracle, and if you didn't, if you weren't here or you didn't watch it or you didn't listen to it, you can, you can go back and do that, but maybe you remember what Jesus told the leper who he had healed. He said, go show yourself to the priest, but do not tell anybody. He said, do not tell anybody who healed you. I don't want people to know yet, but what does he go and do? He went and told everybody. And he kind of follows this pattern. He says, hey, I've healed you, and, and this is amazing, and, you know, lets it go. And every miracle gains more and more popularity, if you will. It gains more and more notice because they're, they're waiting, they're anticipating the Jews at this time are living in great expectation, and they're excited. They're like, is this the one? Is this the one who's finally going to free us from oppression? Is this the one who's finally going to be the promised one sent of God to take away the sin of the world? Is this the one? And people are starting to declare, yes, yes, this is the one. But finally, we get to miracle number four, and things really have shifted. Number three, we finally see things shift after the third miracle, and the Pharisees and the rabbis go, hey, I think this really is the Messiah, which means there's some things that are going to have to change in my life. There's some things that are going to have to change in my leadership, and I'm not quite ready for that change. And so many of us, that's how we approach Jesus. So many in our world, that's how they approach church. Well, you know, I don't look a certain way, I don't dress a certain way, I talk a certain way, so I'm not welcome. No, everyone is, is welcome. Jesus loves everyone, even if he just met them. Even if you haven't met him, Jesus loves you. But the thing is, he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to stay the same, because his ways are better than our ways. You could probably have your own testimony, and, and, and some of you I know are really smart people. You're really gifted, really talented you know how to get things done. But even you, I would assume the fact that you're sitting here today means that you need a savior. Because no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how good looking you are, there's nothing that you can do to save yourself from our sin. We all need a savior. And so we see this shift begin to take place. Yes, he's the Messiah. Is this the one? I'm really excited. Things are going to look up for us. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't really like that. I don't really like this. Things are going to have to change. And they begin to plot against him, which is why we read, hey, surely you can't go back there. They're going to stone you, Jesus. Don't go anywhere near Jerusalem. Don't even think about Jerusalem. Don't even say the word Jerusalem. They want to stone you there. And Jesus says, let's go. Let's go to Bethany, not too far from Jerusalem. Let's go. I don't care. We're going. Amazing things to pull out here. All right, don't get too far off track. With the authority and humility of, to the glory of God and his son, what does Jesus do? 
He commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Incredible story, great source of strength, the belief in God for the impossible. But there is so much more to this story than what we read when we understand what is taking place in the culture of that day. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled to a foreign country, but sometimes if you go certain places, if you do certain things, you can easily offend somebody. I don't know if you've ever done that. So uh, when we were in Thailand, for example, you're not supposed to touch your head or even touch the head of somebody else because it shows a great level of disrespect. And so you just didn't do that. When you walked near a Buddhist temple, you didn't point your feet at people if you could help it. You would sit or not show them the bottoms of your feet. Well, I mean, the way Bill is sitting now, all comfortable over here, his foot is showing towards me, which would be incredibly disrespectful in some cultures. And you just don't do that. Um, There are things that we miss in English that are taking place here in Hebrew. So the Bible in the New Testament we're reading, it was written in Greek. They spoke Aramaic, but they were thinking in Hebrew. All right, so that's a pretty confusing puzzle. They wrote it down in Greek. They were speaking Aramaic, but they were thinking in Hebrew. And so there's a few things that if we don't study the word carefully and we don't look at good sources, we can miss a few exciting things in the Bible. But there was a belief If you were a Jew and you were a rabbi, there was a belief, and you've probably heard me share this before because I have, that if someone had died, you had up to three days to bring that body back to life. Because in the Hebrew culture, they believe that the spirit of the body would hover over that body up to three days, but on four days, the spirit would have left the body. It's kind of crazy. I mean, we don't really think of things too much like that in our culture. Once you're gone, you're, you're gone, right? That's kind of how we, we view things. But the rabbis taught that resurrection from the dead was possible within the first three days. So only the Messiah could perform a resurrection that would happen after three days. And how many days did Lazarus stay in the grave, did it tell us? Four days. Someone say four days. It, seems, it, it does seem strange to us that Jesus actually went out of his way to be late. Now, I don't know, we all have that one friend who's never on time. And if you don't have any of those friends who are never on time and are always late, and you don't have friends like that, just pay attention because you are probably that friend. Just throwing that out there. But it seems like Jesus went out of his way to be late. Once he learned that Lazarus was sick. And we know from what we just read, what we just heard, that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters deeply. It says he was deeply moved. Yet when he heard Lazarus Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days where he was. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Obviously he cared for him. He loved him and his sisters. Rather, he knew that God actually had a greater purpose to accomplish through Lazarus. And Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through it. Now, last week, we kind of touched on this point as well. 
Sometimes things happen. Why was this man born blind? Surely there was a sin in his parents or in his life that he would be born blind. And only God can forgive sins, so only the Messiah can perform the miracle. And Jesus comes back and says, oh, by the way, no, his parents hadn't committed some great sin. He had not committed some great felony against God. No, God allowed this to happen so he could show how good he is. Now, if you are suffering... If you are going through a great trial and Pastor Gary comes over to your house in the middle of your suffering and says, you know, God wants you to go through this so his glory can be revealed, you're probably going to throw me out of your house. Because none of us want to hear that in that moment, right? That's not going to satisfy the answer of why. Now, is that still true? Does God allow things to happen so that he can do something great through us? Absolutely. How many of us want to be that candidate and that volunteer? Not so much. But we're willing. And so he says, look, we're going to wait because God's going to do something. Yeah, you guys, obviously, you know, you believe that I could show up and, and go and heal him before he dies. Oh, look at that. You believe had you been here sooner, you could have raised him from the dead because you did that before. We've seen that happen. And Jesus says, no, we're going to wait a while because God wants to do something even more amazing. Right now, you could be walking through some really deep waters. Maybe you're walking through a really deep loss. Maybe you've had some circumstances that have just, just driven you up the wall and crazy and you don't know the next way to turn. Hold on to the faith that maybe God is about to do something greater. We're praying for this. We're praying, God, get me out of here. God, do something. And yet God is saying, just hold on. I've got something way better, far beyond you ever asked or imagined. That's what Ephesians, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians to pray. He says, he knows more than you ask or imagine. There's an expression, I can't remember, a saying, I can't remember who, who said it. I should find it and put it in here. But it says, if you're going through, maybe it's Winston Churchill, but if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stay there. Keep going. If you're going through a circumstance, don't give up praying. Don't give up hope. If you're walking through those deep waters, barely keeping your head above the water, keep going. Don't lose that hope. God is about to do something amazing. Now, when Jesus arrived, there was not one person who thought that he would do what he did. They all thought he was simply being a good friend and showing up to be there in their grief. Notice they actually believed, they said, could he who not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept him from dying? This suggests to us that people had a very good positive outlook towards Jesus and his abilities. The statement itself implies that he is the Messiah. Didn't he already do all those other messianic miracles that only the Messiah could do? Surely he could do this. But when he asked them to remove the stone, this is where things shift. The very first miracle he tells the leper, don't tell anybody. Tells his disciples, don't tell anybody. He goes on this Mount of Transfiguration and talks to Peter and he says, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the son of God, you are the Messiah. And he says, that's right, don't tell anybody. He's healed a man with leprosy. He has cast out a mute demon. He has healed a man who was born blind. Three out of four miracles have been 
taken place. And through all of these experiences, Jesus tries to keep the low profile. But the moment he opens his mouth and he says to the crowd that is there, expecting Jesus, I mean, we see that Jesus is there. He's deeply moved. And it says the the verse in the Bible that every kid in kids' church and Sunday school wants to memorize to get the ice cream and the cookie, the easiest, most memorable verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. John 9.35. All right, who thinks they can do some Bible memory challenge today? What does John 9.35 say? Jesus wept. He was deeply moved and grieved at the loss and the pain that was taking place. This was one of his closest friends, one of the closest families that he's close to. And he's deeply moved. And so they all think Jesus has showed up here today to grieve with us. And then he does this bold statement. He says, no, no, no. The time for grieving has come to an end. You all believe in the other three miracles that I performed, and I told you to keep quiet about it. The moment he opens his mouth and he says, remove the stone. Even the people who believed he was the Messiah had a moment of doubt. But Jesus, it's been four days. Remove the stone. In that moment... Those very words, as you are thinking in Hebrew, as you are speaking in Aramaic, as you are reading it in Greek, and now we read it in English, what Jesus is actually saying in this moment, he is finally publicly declaring, I am the Messiah. Nothing can stand in my way. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Move the stone. And everybody in that moment knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he told them to roll the stone away. Everyone in that moment clearly understood Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. He declared, I am the Messiah. John eleven forty five. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. Where's your water bottle? Go fill it up. Well, go drink it. <laughs> well, I can't help you then, man. Your cup is running over and you don't want it and you're thirsty. Well, there's a lesson in there for us when we come to Jesus. For another time. You are super big. Now, can you go find your seat? Thanks, man. All right. Many had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. The fourth and final messianic miracle was essentially the nail in the coffin for Jesus, though. So he finally publicly admits, yes, I'm the Messiah, which is all the confirmation the rabbis and the Pharisees need to literally put him in the ground. And so we see in John eleven fifty three. From that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. All right, so we have some options today. We have to decide a few things with the information that we've been given. We have seen it proven that Jesus is the Messiah. The people that were around him believed he was the Messiah. And in this moment, Jesus finally publicly declares, I am the one. 
And so we have to decide with this information, is Jesus who he says he is? Is this just some historical document? Is this just some historical record? He was the Messiah for the Jews back then? Well, John the Baptist, no, here he is, the Son of God who takes away the sin of not just the Jews, not just the people that lived during that time, but took away the sin of the world. Go sit down somewhere else, please. We have to decide, is Jesus who his disciples declared he was? Is Jesus the one his disciples died for? And is Jesus still the one that we read about? Is he still our Messiah today? Now, I believe 100% emphatically, yes. In today's world, we're allowed to believe whatever we want to believe. We can make up whatever truth that we want, and we can declare it to be true, and we can believe that and follow it and do the things that we want to do to make those things true. And people will tell us, that's good for you. You believe whatever you want to believe. That's good. If you want to believe in Jesus, you go ahead. I don't believe in Jesus, and that's good enough too. That's, that's what the world tells us. But the truth is this, is that Jesus is the Messiah for all. Jesus is Jesus for all. The truth is, is that he was a real man, fully God, born of Mary the Virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The truth is, is he walked this earth for 33 years. The truth is he lived, died, and on the third day he himself rose again. While the world can tell us what to believe, and we can believe whatever we want to believe, we can choose to believe what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, the fact of the matter is, is that we all need a Savior. Regardless of what people tell you to believe, we all need a Savior. And so there is a creed, and Chad's going to put this up for us today, something we don't do very often in in evangelical churches and in Pentecostal churches is, is read creeds together. But we're going to take a moment today, and if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you truly believe that he is the Messiah, I'm going to invite you to share in this next moment with me together. We're going to personally choose to recite and partake in this moment we're going to have communion here, which I've prepared for us here in this, this moment as well. As a reconciliation moment, as a remembrance moment, as a moment we remember that Jesus is our Messiah, that he died for our sins. But before you do that, I want to have us have a moment of confession today to confess that Jesus really is Lord. So Chad, can you go ahead and put up that? This should be the, one of the last slides in our playlist today. Should be the next one. Okay, the next one then. Okay, it's before that. It's, it'll be before that then. It looks like a song. I mean, some of you might know it off by heart, but for those of us who didn't grow up in the Catholic Church or Anglican Church or another traditional Christian denomination, we might not know the words. Pardon? No, 
It looks like a song. All right, why don't we stand together and recite this together as an act of our, our belief today. And if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to invite you to recite this with us. You can put the first one up there, Chad. So let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Catholic Church, his communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, how many are wondering about that word Catholic we just read? <laughs> so let me give you some clarity on that. When this was written thousands of years ago, there was no this church, that church, Catholic church, Anglican church, Pentecostal church. There was just the church so the word Catholic actually means universal, church family, believers, all believers is what it essentially means. Everybody. It is the Holy Church, in case you were wondering about that. Today I'm going to invite you to partake in communion, and, and in just a second we're going to put this, this little video on just for some, some music about how Jesus has saved us and won us. But today, if you have put your faith in him, I invite you to partake in communion with us today. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have put your hope and your faith in him, which I pray you have, pray that we were able to say some of those words with conviction, that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he is who he said he was. I believe who his disciples said he was. And I am choosing this day to believe that Jesus is my savior, that I need him. And if you truly believe that you have Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to join us for communion today because he offers us a new life. He offers us resurrection. We don't have to be the one people we once were. We can be new. He came to bring dead things to life. Exactly what we read about today. It's exactly what he's doing for you and for me. And so, Chad, you can go ahead and play on that song video, and uh, I will come and I will serve you communion this morning. And you may be seated for this part.
Gaspar. So I know that uh, this particular communion can be a little bit difficult, and I'll just invite you to open the top wrapper to get the bread out. And if you already opened the juice, that's fine. We can do it in a different order. Okay. Get off the stage, please. Go back to your seats. So today we're going to read from the book of Matthew. And hopefully you're able to get your little wafer out, a symbol of the body today, without issue. But here's what Jesus says. In the book of Matthew, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. Let's pray together today as you work to get your cracker out. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, We thank you so much for becoming one of us, Lord, to give your life as a sacrifice for our sin. Lord, today we take this bread, and Lord, we break it as a symbol of your broken body. Lord, we do this as an act of remembrance today, to remember the cost, Lord, of our salvation. Lord, we declare by taking this communion that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah, that you are the Savior. We declare today that we need you. Lord, we believe today that you have saved us from our sins. Lord, you have set us free, Lord, from the burden of our past. Lord, and you are making us new as you resurrected your body from the grave. Lord, you resurrected us from the grave. So, Lord, we thank you for this sacrifice. Let's partake in the bread together. It says, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you, my Father, in my Father's kingdom. So God, today again, we say thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. We thank you that, Lord, that blood washes us and covers us and makes us clean, Lord, white as snow. Lord, we also think of the promise, Lord, that you shared with your disciples on that day. Lord, that we will drink this cup with you forever. Lord, one day we will sit at your table, we will see you face to face, and we will give thanks to you in that moment. Lord, in this time we recognize that we will sit at the table with you and drink the cup together. So, Lord, this is the promise of our faith of a blessed future in eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's partake the cup together. That's enough. Just a second. So it is my deep hope, my deep prayer, the reason that I get up in the morning is that I believe and I'm thankful for all of you today who have chosen to choose life. 
And my prayer is that we would not leave this place without having met with God and having experienced a change that has taken place in, his, in our lives. I pray that we won't keep it to ourselves, that we will be happily able to share the hope that we have with others. Because so many people need a Savior and they don't know it. And Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And you and I possess the information and the personal testimony and the personal experience You and I hold the truth for those that desperately need to know a Savior. And so as I send you out today, I pray God's greatest blessing over you, that he will keep you and he will prosper you in all that you say and all that you do and everywhere that you go, that you will truly bring the blessings and the love of God, the love of Jesus with you. Amen.